بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى خدا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار today we start the second half of the poem so we finished uh, eight lines of the poetry and in those eight lines we looked at the introduction uh, we looked at the issue of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum that were mentioned first and after this we moved on to the issue of uh, the quran and the sunnah following the quran and the sunnah and then we moved on to the topic of the attributes the attributes of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this and also the, the methodology of ahlus sunnah wal jamaah as it relates to the attributes and this brings us to the ninth line on the second page if you have the uh, print out or the translation and so in this line this is a continuation of the issue of the attributes and it brings uh, again the mention of the quran and so here Sheikh al-Islam says in what is ascribed to him Qubhan liman nabadha al-Qur'ana wara'ahu Qubhan liman nabadha al-Qur'ana wara'ahu which means disgrace for the one who threw the Qur'an behind his back wa idha stadalla yaqulu qala al-akhtalu the one who when he tries to seek evidence for his opinion or for his view he says al akhtal said al akhtal al akhtal is a name of a person and so when this person is asked to provide evidence for his viewpoint meaning regarding the quran the quran is it the speech of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he's asked or when he's when he seeks evidence for this saying for his particular saying he says al akhtal said this refers to a person and inshallah ta'ala we will come to the details of who this person is uh, as we progress through the lesson so this line it is in reference to the issue of the quran the quran being the speech of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we believe the quran is the actual speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which he spoke which he spoke and we're going to start with the discussion of Sheikh Salih As-Suhaimi Abdullah on this line of poetry and he begins by saying that he asked the question who is al-akhtal who is al-akhtal mentioned in this poetry who is this person and he says al-akhtal is a christian poet al-akhtal is a christian poet 
And he was present in the time roughly 120, 130 Hijrah, the time towards the end of the Umayyad state, the state of the Umayyads, Bani Umayyah. So he was present in that time, roughly 120, 130 Hijrah. And he was a Christian, he was a Trinitarian Christian. And he was a poet. And he was in fact, besides being a disbeliever, a non-Muslim, a Christian, he was also known to be someone who would be intoxicated and who would be, whose actions were uh, reprehensible. So he was like a fajir, someone who was intoxicated, someone who was a fajir. So this is who is al-akhtal. And what is the meaning of this verse then? What is, what is Ibn Taymi saying here in this verse? What he's saying is that woe be to the one who throws the Qur'an behind his back. And then, when he provides evidence for his viewpoint, for his saying regarding the Qur'an, is it the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is it uncreated? Where does he go? He doesn't go to the Qur'an, he doesn't go to the Sunnah, he doesn't go to the Salaf, he doesn't go to the Sahaba. He goes and he finds a statement of this Christian. This Christian poet, Al-Akhtal. And then he uses his poetry in order to argue for his viewpoint. And so in other words, Ibn Taymiyyah is saying that when I, when he, when he expresses this line of poetry, قُبْحًا لِمَنْ نَبَذَ الْقُرْآنَ وَرَاءَهُ وَإِذَا اسْتَدَلَّ يَقُولُ قَالَ الْأَخْتَلُ He says that I, the meaning of this poetry is, from Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah's point of view is, that the Shaykh says, I speak with what is in the Qur'an. And I do not speak with what is said by Al-Akhtal. And why is this? Why is this? The reason for this is that there are a number of sects, a number of groups. The Jahmiyyah, and the Mu'tazila, and the Ash'aris, and the Maturidis. And these people are from the people of innovation, from the people of misguidance when it comes to the issue of the attributes of Allah, the names and attributes of Allah, and they speak about Allah's attributes in a way which is different to what we find in the Qur'an, and different to what we find in the Sunnah, and different to what we find the Sahaba were united upon, and different to what we find the Imams, the Imams to be upon, the Imams of the Salaf. And so what do they say? They say, that Allah's speech, Allah does not have speech. Allah does not have actual speech. Allah does not speak. And this Quran that we have, this Quran that we have with us, it is not Allah's actual speech. It is an expression of Allah's speech. It is an ibarah. It's an expression. Or it is a quotation of Allah's speech. A hikaya. An ibarah or a hikaya. Meaning it isn't the actual words spoken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Qur'an is not the word spoken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather it is some, it is an expression of the meaning which came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in simple terms it simply means that when we read Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, and to the end of the uh, surah, and any other ayah in the Qur'an, Qul huwa Allahu ahad, 
and any other uh, verse in the Quran, this is not the speech of Allah. What we are reading, what we are reciting, what we are hearing, this was not spoken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the meaning of the position of these groups. When they say that this Quran is not the speech of Allah because Allah doesn't speak. They believe Allah does not have the attribute of speech. So therefore they have to explain what is this Quran that we have with us? What is this Arabic Quran? What are these words that we recite? They have to explain what this is. Because they've now denied Allah does not speak. Allah does not have kalam. Allah does not, does not have speech. So they said, these two views, this Quran is an ibarah, it is an expression of the speech of Allah, or it is merely a quotation of the speech of Allah. This is the view of the Ash'aris and Maturidis. The Ash'aris and the Maturidis. So the Sheikh says, okay, now we ask them, we ask them, why, why, why are you saying this? Why have you said the Quran is not the actual speech of Allah? Let's ask them this question. Why, why are you saying this? What is leading you to make this uh, statement? And so the Sheikh says that they will reply back to us and they will say, they will say that if we say the Quran is the actual speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it means, it would mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a body, just like we are bodies. And their reasoning is because kalam, speech, is something that can only come from a tongue. Can only come from a tongue. And teeth, and lips, and a throat, and all of the you know, the different uh, organs or parts which are required in order to produce speech. So this is what they said. So from this, they said that because speech can only come in this way, this is the only way speech can arise, this means that Allah cannot have the attribute of speech. It means Allah, it means Allah never spoke, Allah does not speak, and therefore this Qur'an that we have with us, it can't be the speech of Allah. It cannot be the speech of Allah. Rather it is something that is created, something that is brought about. It is the uh, uh, expression through someone else, maybe Jibreel, maybe Muhammad wasallam. but it is not the speech of Allah because if it was the speech of Allah, speech needs a tongue, lips, a throat, a vocal tract, and this would mean Allah is a body. And this would be tajseem. This would be making Allah into a body. This would be tashbih. This would be resembling Allah to His creation. So the point here is that you have to understand the psychology and the mentality of these people. The mentality is that when they hear that Allah has the attribute of speech, in their hearts immediately the first thing they think of is they think of that which they see in humans of speech. And so straight away, in their minds, in the intellects, the, 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 the understanding they have straight away is something that Allah Himself denies. Because Allah says, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ That there is nothing which is like unto Allah. So any likeness to begin with is denied and rejected, first and foremost. And so when they have this wrong picture in their minds and they have this false idea in their minds, then they go about and they try to find evidence 
to prove that Allah does not speak with actual speech. And so where do they go? Do they go to the Qur'an? Do they go to the Sunnah? Do they go to the Sahaba? Do they go to the Arabic specialists in you know, the specialists of the language? Do they go to the classical Arabic poetry and you know, from which we understand the definitions and meanings of words and how the Arabs use those words? Where do they go to? No. Instead, they go to a Christian who came after Islam, meaning he was present in the time of Islam. And uh, they go to his poetry because this Christian has a line of poetry. And so they go to his poetry and they use this as a poetry to prove a point. And this point is that speech in Arabic, kalam in Arabic, is something that does not involve the actual voice or the speech, the wording. Rather, the speech in Arabic, the kalam, is just a meaning in the self. It's just a meaning in the self. So a meaning in your soul. So they began to explain and define kalam in this way. Why did they do this? To avoid attributing speech to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So of all places... Where did they go to? They went to one line of a piece of poetry from a Trinitarian Christian. And this is their evidence to deny that Allah has speech. And this is their evidence to show that the Qur'an that we have and that we recite and read is created. So, the point uh, the Shaykh continues to uh, expand upon this, we'll come back to the Shaykh's uh, speech. But just as a side point, in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He establishes that there are things and there are beings that will speak without having a tongue and without having lips and without having you know, the various faculties which are needed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in Surah Qaf, the 50th Surah, uh, with respect to Jahannam, يَوْمَ نَقُولُ لِجَهَنَّمَ حَلِمْ تَلَأْتِي وَتَقُولُ حَلْمٍ مَزِيدٍ The day on which we shall say to Jahannam, Have you become filled? Have you become filled? Have you taken your fill? And Jahannam, the hellfire will say, Is there any increase? حَلْمٍ مَزِيدٍ حَلْمٍ مَزِيدٍ So hellfire will speak. Hellfire will speak. Does hellfire have a tongue? Does hellfire have lips? Does hellfire have a, a throat? Of course not. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who makes things to speak. Likewise on Yawmul Qiyamah, on the Day of Judgment, we see in certain ayat in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the eyes, the vision, and likewise the hearing, and likewise the skin, julud, the skins, of the people will testify against them. And Allah says about these people that they will turn to their skins, they will say, They will turn to their skins and they will say, Why have you testified against us? Why have you borne witness against us? So does the skin of a person have a tongue? Does it have lips? Does it have a throat? No. And this shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's the one who can make things to speak. 
without them having the organs of speech that mankind has. And so, as a principle, this falsifies the claim of those people. Remember those people we said that when you say to them Allah speaks, automatically in their minds, they think of something which is false. They think that if we say Allah speaks, it must mean that He speaks in the manner that humans speak. And this is a false, it's a false uh, likeness, and it is something denied by the Qur'an. So, they began to say then, in order to avoid affirming speech for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they went to this poetry of this individual called Al-Akhtal, Al-Akhtal, this Christian, and they said that when we look at the definition of kalam, kalam is just simply the initial thought or the meaning that is present in yourself before you express it with your tongue. Before you express it with your tongue. So they said this means that the kalam, the definition of kalam to the Arabs is just the meaning in the self. And then they said that as it relates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as it relates to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the speech of Allah is just the meaning which is in the self of Allah. It's just the meaning in the self of Allah. And as for this Qur'an that we have, this Qur'an that we have with us, then it is something that, that then they differ amongst themselves. You see, then they, try, then they have to explain what is this Qur'an then. So some of them, like the Mu'tazila, they say, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He created in the atmosphere or in the air, He created a voice, He created a voice, and that voice expressed the Qur'an. This is the, 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 how the Mu'tazla, they explain, what is this Qur'an? Where did the actual words of this Qur'an come from? And then the <coughs> Ash'aris, they say that it was either, they don't have any firm they don't have any firm uh, view. Some of them say that uh, Jibreel al-Islam, he took it from the Lawhul Mahfuz. He went to the Lawhul Mahfuz and he took it from there. And others amongst them, they say that it was Jibreel who was inspired to express the meaning that is with Allah, but which Allah didn't speak, but he inspired Jibreel to speak. So what we have with, of the Qur'an it is the expression of Jibreel Salam. It is not the actual speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And others amongst them, they said that actually Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he is the one who expressed the, 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 the Qur'an that we have. So you can see that what they're trying to do is they're trying to avoid affirming kalam for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but... So was not to make it look to the Mus- look to, to, to the Muslims that they are saying that they are denying the Quran is the speech of Allah. They are saying yes, Allah has speech. We believe Allah has speech, but the speech they mean is not the speech that is known to the Arabs. The speech they mean is just a, a, the, the the meaning in the self. When you have a meaning in the self. As for the definition of kalam to the Arabs, then it is meaning. It is a ma'na. It is a meaning. And it is a wording. This is the definition of kalam. It is, uh, uh, you know, as some of them say, nutuk, nutuk mufhim. It is a, an expression, it's an actual expression, which provides a meaning, which affords a meaning. So it is meaning, 
and it is an expression uh, together. So we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has speech which is unlike the speech of the creation. Allah speaks, but His speech is unknown. We do not know how His speech is. But we affirm that Allah, He speaks with meaning and with words and with a voice that can be heard. Because Jibreel al-Islam, he heard the Qur'an from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Jibreel, he brought it. Jibreel is the trustworthy spirit. He is ar-ruhul Amin, And so he conveyed the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Muhammad sallallahu wasallam exactly as he heard it. And so it was conveyed to Muhammad sallallahu wasallam. And so kalam, this is the definition of kalam in the Arabic language. So the Sheikh says, the Sheikh says about these people that it is as if they are claiming that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unable to speak. This really comes down to the crux of the matter. They are essentially trying to say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, they resembled him to al-akhras, someone who is dumb, someone who, who cannot speak. So what they did is, they thought that if they affirm kalam for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will resemble him to humans. Okay? And then, when they claimed that speech is only a meaning in the self, and Allah does not actually speak with a voice and with words, what they did, the result was, that they instead, they likened him to an inanimate object that doesn't speak. Uh, this table does not speak. Uh, this phone does not speak. Right? So look at what they did. They fled as they claim that we don't want to make resemblance between Allah and His creation. And so they said Allah does not have speech. Allah has just the meaning in His self, but He does not speak with words. And then when they fled from that saying, and they said that Allah doesn't actually speak, basically they likened Allah to an inanimate object that is unable to speak. So as some of the scholars explain, some of the scholars explain that they fled from one type of tashbih, they fled from likening Allah and resembling Allah to some from His creation, and then they fell into an even worse form of tashbih, of resembling Allah to some from His creation. Why? Because, if you, because, because to liken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to something which does not have the qualities of perfection, like for example, this table is not able to speak, is not able to hear, is not able to see. This is a very deficient thing or being within the creation. So to liken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to that thing which is inanimate and imperfect is even worse, it is even worse then likening Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to someone who can hear and see and has knowledge. So you understand that the, the, the type of resemblance they fell into is, is worse. So they fled from one type of tashbih and they fell into an even worse type of tashbih by likening him to inanimate objects. And so we see in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the story of uh, Musa alayhi salam, when Musa alayhi salam he went up to the uh, mount, and when he came back, in his absence, the Samiri, he had misled Bani Israel. 
and he made them to create, uh, to make an idol out of the, the jewelry or whatever else that they had. So he made an idol. And so when uh, he did this and Musa Islam he came back and obviously he was very angry. In Surah, uh, Surah Taha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says about the action of these people and he says about this idol that they made. He said, أَفَلَا يَرَوْنَ أَلَّا يَرْجِئُ إِلَيْهِمْ قَوْلًا Do they not see that this idol that they have created and that they are worshipping, it cannot return back any speech to them. It is unable to return speech to them. And then in the verse Allah continues, and that it does not have any, it does not have any, it cannot benefit or harm them. It cannot give them any benefit or harm. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He falsified that this object has is, is worthy of worship. How did He falsify it? He falsified by mentioning two things, two qualities that this thing or this idol does not have. One of those qualities was that it is unable to benefit or harm. It cannot benefit or harm. So this does not make it into that which is worthy of worship. And the second thing that was mentioned is that it cannot return back any speech. It cannot return speech. And so this clearly has the meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who speaks. He speaks with that which can be heard. With that which can be heard. Because it's pointless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying here in this ayah that do they not see that it cannot return speech to them? And the speech he's referring to, you know, it must be speech that can be heard. Otherwise, there's no meaning to this, to this, uh, you know, refutation of them. So this proves that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is one who can speak. And that speech is that which can be heard. And so therefore, this shows the falsehood of what these people are upon. And in trying to flee from tashbih, one type of tashbih, they went into an even worse form of tashbih, which is to liken Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to that which is, you know, inanimate. So the shaykh then goes on and he says that when you look at the way these people speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is just one example where they deny that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, but if you look at the other descriptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the shaykh gives an example. He says, if if uh, if I came, or if a person came and he said that Zaid, there's a person called Zaid, and he's not in the haram. He's not in the haram. But he's not outside the haram. He's not outside the haram either. Nor is he upon the earth. Nor is he beneath the earth. Nor is he in the heaven. Nor is he upon the earth. Nor is he in the east. Nor is he in the west. Nor is he in front or behind. So basically they are, they're bringing all of these descriptions. And so the question is that this type of description, are these descriptions, descriptions of one who exists or one who does not exist? The answer is that these are descriptions that are describing the impossible. You can't say about a person that yes, he's, he's not in the haram and yes, he is in the haram. You can't say about a person, you know, Zayd, yes, he's in this mosque. And he's also outside this mosque. Or he's not in this mosque and he's not outside this mosque. 
This is all from the impossible things. So these people, when they, the, the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila and the Ash'aris and the Maturidis, the point being from all of this is that they throw the Qur'an behind their backs. As in meaning that they do not speak about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with what they find in the Qur'an or what they find from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when they try to find a proof for how they describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they go to whom? They go to the likes of this Trinitarian Christian. Or they go to the opinions, or they go to the philosophy of other nations, the philosophy of the Greeks. And this is where we have all of this ilmul kalam, this theological rhetoric, this ilmul kalam, and where all of this language comes from. Comes from Allah is not a jism, Allah is not a body, Allah is not an arad, Allah is not an incidental attribute, Allah is not confined in space, Allah is not in a location, Allah is not in a direction, Allah is not subject to events, Allah is not this, Allah is not... All of this language, this language is not, is not from the Qur'an, is not from the Sunnah, is not from the Sahaba, is not from the Salaf, all of this they have taken from other nations and misguided people, misguided philosophers, misguided uh, uh, non-Muslims. So, the point here, what Ibn Taymiyyah is saying in this, in this speech, when he, when he says, قُبْحًا قُبْحًا لِمَنْ نَبَذَ الْقُرْآنَ وَرَاءَهُ وَإِذَا اسْتَدَلَّ يَقُولُ قَالَ الْأَخْتَلُ Which means that disgrace is for the one who threw, who threw the Qur'an behind his back. And when he seeks evidence, when he tries to provide evidence, then he says, Al-Akhtal said. Al-Akhtal said. Al-Akhtal is a Trinitarian Christian. So the Shaykh continues and he says, What then? Let's now look at what, what is this line of poetry from Al-Akhtal? What is this poetry that we keep mentioning? Al-Akhtal, he allegedly said, because even this poetry that they are using to bring a corrupt definition of kalam in the Arabic language, even this is not really established as being authentically from Al-Akhtal. The poetry is not really established in any case. But anyway, the poetry it reads, إِنَّ الْكَلَامَ إِنَّ الْكَلَامَ And in fact, in some versions it says, إِنَّ bayana." It doesn't actually use the word kalam, it uses bayan. إِنَّ الْبَيَانَ لَفِي الْفُؤَادِ إِنَّ الْبَيَانَ لَفِي الْفُؤَادِ وَإِنَّمَا جُعِلَ اللِّسَانُ عَلَى الْفُؤَادِ دَلِيلًا Which means that indeed speech or discourse is in the heart. Meaning it is a meaning that a person finds with himself. And indeed the tongue has been made an evidence or a dalil for the kalam or the bayan that is in the heart. Right, so this is the poetry of Al-Akhtal. And the meaning, the basic meaning of it is, or the meaning they derive from it is, is that look, here is some Arabic poetry in which we find kalam defined only as the meaning in the self without the words, without the voice, without the words. So this shows that the definition of kalam in Arabic is, is like this. Meaning it's just the meaning in the self not the actual words. So, in response to this, the Shaykh says, first of all, this alleged line of poetry is not actually established as being from his poetry in the first place. 
Right? This is what all the researchers are agreed upon, that this poetry is not found in the, 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 the comp- compilations of this, of this poet, which have come to us, you know, uh, and so this is the first point. So the first point in refutation of this uh, alleged poetry is that this poetry is not established as being the actual poetry of this Christian. And also, this person is the last of all people who you would use as evidence in matters of language and grammar. This is the last of people that you would use to establish points of, of language. The second point is that this person, Al-Akhtal, he's a Christian, and Christians, they believe in the combining between that which is divine and that which is human. The combination between that which is divine and that which is human. In Arabic, there are certain words, Allahut, Allahut, which is divinity, and Nasut, which means humanity. So this Christian, as all Christians do, they believe in the divine the union of the divine with that which is human. And so in other words, it means that to them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he united with some from mankind, and this then became an aqidah for them, and this aqidah also then became an aqidah for the people of wahdatul wujud, the people of those who believe that all of existence is just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is people like Ibn Arabi. Ibn Arabi, he has a poetry, Al-Abdu Rabb, Wal-Rabbu Abd, Falita Shi'r, Falita, he says, the servant is the Lord, and the Lord is the servant, and woe be, woe be to me, if only I knew 
who was the mukallaf? Who is the one who is obligated to perform the religious obligations? If only I knew which one it was. Is it the Lord or is it the servant? Because, he's, because he says the Lord is the servant and the servant is the Lord. So who then is the one obligated with the legislative obligations? So therefore, this Christian, he does not distinguish between the sifa and the mausuf. The sifa is the attribute. And the mausuf is the one being described with the attribute. Nor does he distinguish between the khaliq and the makhluq. The creator and the created. And so therefore, when we have such an individual with this type of belief, we see that he has this belief. Do we trust his speech then? Can we trust his speech when he defines, especially on the issue of kalam, the word, Especially when the Christians, they believe that Isa was the Word who became flesh. The Word of Allah who became flesh. Right? So can we trust a Christian? And can we rely upon a Christian to give us such a definition? This is a second point, a uh, refutation against uh, this issue. And the third issue is that the actual correct meaning of this line of poetry simply means that a meaning, obviously a person thinks about his meaning first, like when a person makes his speech, we all think about what we are going to say. So as I'm speaking now, I'm thinking about my speech. And as I've thought about my speech, it then becomes speech when I actually make the speech. right? And that's all that... If we, if we take the correct meaning of this line of poetry, it simply means that indeed speech or discourse, it begins in the heart as thought, and then it exits and emanates as actual speech. That's all there is to it, simple. And that's, that's in line with what we know of the definition of kalam to the Arabs in any case. And the fourth point is, um, and this is a really uh, uh, an amazing point, which is that we know from the rulings of fiqh, we know that one of the rulings, one of the issues that invalidate a person's prayer is that if you deliberately speak in your prayer outside of what you would normally be reciting in the salah. So if you just started speaking deliberately with something that is not from the salah, for example, this is something that would invalidate the prayer. It is, it is something that's unlawful. It's, un, it's not permissible. And it is it is unlawful. Now, okay, if a person now starts speaking to himself in his in his own soul, right? He speaks to him, to himself in his mind. He speaks to his own soul. Does this invalidate his prayer, or does it not invalidate his prayer? Question: Does it invalidate his prayer? But according to these people, who define kalam? to be just a meaning in the self, as you start thinking about things, does that mean your prayer has been invalidated? According to them, it would mean your prayer has been invalidated because all of the, 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 the schools in, in, the, in, the, in, in this particular ruling, they agreed that if a person deliberately starts speaking without you know, necessity, and other than the speech which is from the prayer, then it would invalidate his prayer. So the point being, that this then is an actual refutation of these people. This is a refutation of these people, because otherwise, who doesn't think of things 
when he's praying, who doesn't have a thought outside of what he's you know, reciting in the prayer? Everyone has this. So this means that everyone's salah is invalidated just because they they are, they are, they are, they are, you know, they are, they have kalam as they are reading the, the prayer. No. So this shows that this claim is actually false. The claim that kalam is just a meaning in the self and not the actual words. This is from the greatest of falsehoods. So with these four points, their claim is invalidated. And uh, we'll finish our lesson today with a passage here from uh al Islam Ibn Taymi Rahimullah and there's actually a narration. Yes, we'll finish with a narration. And the first of these narrations is mentioned by Imam al Dhahabi Rahimahullah in his book Al Ulu and this is from the Imam Abi Muhammad bin Qudama. He says that uh, Abu al-Mu'ali As'ad ibn al-Najah, he said, One day I was with a person called Sheikh Abu al-Bayan. Abu al-Bayan. And this person called Ibn Tamim, he came to him. And there was some discussion that happened, uh, you know, some discussion and debate uh, between them. This person was an Ash'ari who came to him. And so some discussion, some words were exchanged. And so this Imam, he said to him, he said to him, Woe be to you. Woe be to you. Remember, this person is an Ash'ari and he's arguing with the argument that we've just refuted. So he says, Woe be to you. The Hanbalis, when it is said to them, What is the proof that the Quran is letter and voice? What is the proof that the Quran is letter and voice? Harf and sawt. These Hanbalis will say to you, Qala Allah kada. وَقَالَ رَسُولُهُ كَذَا They will say to you, yes, Allah said, and His Messenger said. And then he will, then they start bringing some narrations, and they bring some ayat from the Qur'an. And you people, addressing this individual who is an Ash'ari, he said, you people, when it is said to you, When it is said to you, what is your proof then? That the Qur'an is just a, 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 a meaning in the self. The Quran just meaning itself. It's not actual letters and words and voice. They say that you people say Al Akhtal said. Al Akhtal, who's Al Akhtal? Trinitarian Christian who believes in union between man, between human and the divine. And you know, uh, so so this is how it is. And uh, so then he says, you say Al Akhtal said. Then he quotes his poetry and he says, who is this Al Akhtal Nasrani Khabith? You've built your whole doctrine upon a line of poetry from this man and you've abandoned the book and the sunnah. So you can see now how this fits in with the statement of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. قُبْحًا لِمَنْ نَبَذَ الْقُرْآنَ وَرَاءَهُ وَإِذَا اسْتَدَلَّ يَقُولُ قَالَ الْأَخْطَلُ Disgrace for the one who threw the Qur'an behind his back and when he brings, when asked to provide evidence he says الْأَخْطَلُ the Christian said. And finally, Ibn Taymiyyah makes a point that he's a Christian and they have erred in the definition of kalam because they themselves believe that Isa alayhi salam, he is the word of Allah that became flesh. The word of Allah that became flesh. 
And the Christians, if you look into their theology, they believe, they believe the way they describe Allah, they say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's just a He's not a a being or a body, He's just you know a a a, a mind, a non-material being. And so the word was with him, immaterial, and then it became flesh in the form of Isa alayhi salam. And so what these people are saying, the uh, Ash'aris and Maturidi, is that Allah, Allah is just has a meaning in His self. It's just the meaning in the self of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, as for the actual Qur'an, it is something created. So, this is a very dangerous affair when we abandon the Qur'an and we turn to falsafa and kalam, opinion, philosophy. Look at how astray a person goes in that he seeks evidence by way of a Trinitarian Christian and he leaves the book of Allah and the sunnah of the messenger. He leaves what the Arabic specialists of the Arabic grammar are agreed upon. He abandons all of that and then he goes to a Trinitarian Christian. This is from the greatest of misguidance. And so this is the point made by Shaykh al-Islam in this line of poetry. With that we conclude our lesson. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.